0: This morning we're going to consider all spiritual blessings in Christ and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through to 7. The epistle of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus is one of four of his imprisonment letters. Philippians, Colossians and Philemon are the others. The first three chapters of Ephesians are doctrinal and they are a consideration of the exalted positions of Christians, the Church, in Christ Jesus. As for the remaining three chapters they contain practical considerations, practical applications for all who are in Christ Jesus. So we got the six chapters in Ephesians. The first three are largely doctrinal, teaching, good Christian doctrine. And then the last three are how the Christian lives out that doctrine in a born-again life. Although Ephesus is now part of Muslim Turkey, in Paul's time it was, th- it was from that city that all the other churches in Asia were founded and Ephesus was considered to be the third capital of Christianity after Jerusalem and Antioch. Paul was certainly no stranger to Ephesus according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. He spent about three years in that city. Without further delay, we shall turn to the epistle of Paul, to the Ephesians, and consider his opening salutation or his opening greeting. We're going to be doing a series starting this morning on this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 1 there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Before anything else, Paul declared his credentials that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's the first thing we read there. In other words, Paul was appointed and sent forth, not by men, but by God. In other words, he said that at the beginning of this epistle, immediately for uh, we see this rather, before this letter, we see in the previ- uh, the one before this, The letter to the Ephesians, what it means to be an apostle by the will of God. Just turn over the, turn back the pages to Galatians. We'll see what that means. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Christ, by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You can see there very clearly that Paul was appointed and sent forth as an apostle by God and not by men. The apostles were appointed by God in the early days of the church and now 2,000 years later, what do we do? Well, I've spent over two years and just finished looking at the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans on Sunday evening. Uh, with with people coming here on Sunday evening. And now we're starting on Sunday morning to look at Paul's letter, his epistle to the Ephesians, yet more doctrine. So 2,000 years later, certainly at this church, we spend a lot of time studying the doctrine of the apostles. Something I love doing, and I, I trust you do as well. It's food for the soul when we study the the teaching of those men who were sent forth by God. They established the church, the early church, and we all benefit now from, from their work. We prayerfully read and study their divinely inspired words in scripture, such as we're going to be doing now. You need to keep that in mind when you consider that nowadays in the world, and even here on this little island, there are church leaders who have been afforded the title of apostle. They are apostles, these people, I won't name them. These people are apostles. The the thing is though, they are false apostles. They are self-appointed or else they have been appointed by other men to be apostles and they have not been appointed by God we even have them here on this island still in verse 1 Paul addresses his letter to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus although that may sound and look like two different groups of people saints and those who believe in Christ Jesus. It's only one group of people when you consider that the saints, what does that actually mean to be a saint? It means to be a holy one and to be to be faithful means to be a believer, someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. You put that together, people who are saints or holy, people they are people who have been cleansed from uh, their filthy stain they've been cleansed from their sin by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ they've been renewed by the Holy Spirit in other words they are believers in Christ Jesus someone who is a saint is someone who is believing it comes across much more clearly in various other Bible versions that the saints and the faithful are one and the same. For example, in the New King James Version, it is written, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Another thing to appreciate is that epistles that are addressed to named churches, such as this one here, you see it in verse 1, the, uh, to the saints which are at, at Ephesus, that doesn't mean to say that we're not allowed to look at it, obviously, it's for our benefit as well. In fact, some of the older manuscripts don't have those words which are at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus is no more. But we can all benefit from this letter, from what Paul wrote to that church in Ephesus. As it is written in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all all good works. I've certainly benefited, and I trust others have, from studying Paul's epistle to the Romans, as I say, over two years on Sunday evenings, and it's my desire and my prayer that we will all benefit from studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I've already pointed out that there are men who appoint themselves or or else they are appointed by others as apostles and they are indeed false apostles. They have no business appointing themselves or being appointed by other men to be apostles, but also looking at verse 1 still Saints are not people who have died and who who have then been venerated by a pope, a Roman Catholic pope. Saints are in fact all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. If you're a Christian, you are a saint. doesn't mean to say you have to walk around with a halo above your head. What it simply means is that you are made holy by the blood of Jesus. You are sanctified, set apart from this world and set apart to God, to serve God as a priest of the Most High God. Let's have a look at verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who is familiar with the Apostle Paul's epistles will be only too aware that grace and peace, as spoken of there in verse 2, can only ever come from God. They're not something you can magic up inside yourself. They come from God, grace and peace. And they can only ever be received by people who are trusting in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints. The sanctified They are the ones who are the recipients of the grace and peace of God. For one thing, grace refers to God's unmerited favour towards all who were once hell-deserving sinners but are now in Christ. I love the hymn Amazing Grace in which John Newton said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me talking about when he was first saved from his sins and then he goes on to say tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home can you see there John Newton he was absolutely right it's grace from start to finish the grace of God that saves wretches like us it's the grace of God that keeps us every indivisible moment of every day It's the grace of God that keeps you, dear Christian, that keeps you from falling. And it is the grace of God that will most certainly take you home to be with Jesus. As Paul said quite simply in chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace are ye saved. As for peace that we read of in verse 2, there are people in this world who might claim to have peace, but it's a peace that can be switched off at the flick of a switch. We all know that from experience. It's a peace that can be switched off as soon as tragedy comes along. The reality is that ever since that first act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden... This has been a world in turmoil and it is a world that most certainly does not offer any lasting peace. That's hardly surprising when you appreciate that this is a world of which the devil who is uh, the father of lies and he is a murderer and he is the prince of this world. Common sense should tell you that if the devil is the prince of this world, it is not a world that offers a peace that endures. And it's hardly surprising that the world offers no lasting peace when the inhabitants of this world are in rebellion against their maker, who is the God of peace. People wave their puny fists towards heaven, they curse God and it's little wonder that there's no peace in this world the good news is that there is a peace that endures throughout eternity it is a peace that passes understanding in as much as, as it is not dependent upon things going well in your life it's not dependent upon you and I for one thank God for that that the peace I have is not dependent upon me It is a peace with God that has been made possible by the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood of his cross. If you are not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you are in rebellion against the God of peace. And I can guarantee, I don't need to know anything about you, but I can say with absolute certainty that if you are not a saint, if you are not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you do not have any lasting peace. In fact, the wrath of God abides on you. That's very different, isn't it? That I can tell you for a fact. The wrath of God abides on you if Jesus is not your saviour from sin. Furthermore, even if you are a Christian, There are times when you may be burdened and heavily laden with various anxieties and there are various, there's a lot going on in this world that will give any one of us anxieties. But also there's that besetting sin, that sin that you thought you'd dealt with once and for all and then it rears its ugly head again. Now all of those things, the anxieties, the the besetting sins, they cannot eradicate the peace that you have. It's a God-given peace, nothing can take that peace away, but those things can most certainly smother that peace. Again, I speak from experience, I don't have to look at any commentaries for that. I know from my own experience that the peace I have with God can be smothered at times if I'm stumbling into sin, or if I allow things to get on top of me in this world, and I'm sure that is the experience of uh, others in here as well, people who perhaps have been Christians for many, many years. And the answer is to to commit your cares, your anxieties, your sins to God in prayer. God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As it is written in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's have a look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In verse 3, the word blessed, it appears twice, doesn't it? First of all, Paul blesses God. In other words, he praises God. God doesn't um, send his blessings to heaven to God. He he doesn't invoke blessings upon God. God doesn't need our blessings. It means that that um, to praise God, God who has blessed the saints, including Paul, Paul includes himself there in verse three, doesn't he? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, praise be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us, including himself there, with all spiritual blessings. So we, as Christians, are blessed with what? One or two spiritual blessings? A few spiritual, spiritual blessings? No. Even just Wednesday gone, didn't I? I made a big deal of this, I, and I will continue to make a big deal of the fact that if you're a Christian, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ, that is so wonderful. How can you even begin to wrap your brain around that one and understand it all spirit how many blessings are all spiritual blessings? Verse three reminds me of the doxology in our hymn book, Praise God from whom all fles- blessings flow, praise him, all creatures here below, praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Note that the blessings that flow from God are not, not just some, they are all spiritual blessings always in Christ. What does that mean? It means that on the flip side, if you're not trusting in Jesus as your Saviour, how many spiritual blessings do you think you have from God? You have blessings, most certainly, you have blessings in this world, you you can thank God when you tuck into your Sunday dinner. Praise God for that, whoever you are. Praise God for every breath of air you take into your lungs. But if you are not trusting in Jesus, how many spiritual blessings do you have? The answer is very simple, it's zero, not one spiritual blessing belongs to you. And again, as I've already said, all you have is the wrath of God abiding on you. It's as black and white as that. Christian has all spiritual blessings in Christ. Unbeliever has none. If you belong to Jesus, where do you even begin to start when it comes to counting your blessings one by one? A good place to start is where David started in Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. Let me just read that to you. David was speaking to himself. This is something I do quite a lot, speak to myself. David spoke to his soul and he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all his blessings. Listen to this now. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. Well, that wasn't all spiritual blessings, that was just some of them, wasn't it? But first on that little list of spiritual blessings that David blessed or praised God for is the forgiveness of all his sins. That was first. It didn't just so happen to be the first, That, the, that the, it was first for very good reason. If all your sins are forgiven, and that can only happen if Jesus has taken them away in his body at the cross, no other way. If that has happened, then you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and to God be all the glory, honour and praise. Last but not least in verse 3, there is a reference to the two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is both man and God. Let's have a look at that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, that first part there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the New Testament commentator Lenski pointed out, Paul writes, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, for Jesus in his human nature, God is his God. And for Jesus in his deity, God is his Father. His God since the incarnation, his Father from all eternity. And may that glorious truth abide in your heart, for there are many who acknowledge that Jesus was in the world as a man, but they outrightly reject that he is the mighty God. For example, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses insist that Jesus is the archangel Michael, And Muslims say that Jesus was nothing more than a prophet of God, albeit a sinless prophet. May it be written indelibly in your hearts and minds that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's have a look at verse 4. According as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Up until now, the importance of being in Christ has been considered. That the undeserved favour, peace and spiritual blessings of God are the portion of all who are trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin. The thing that is left to our, the thing that is left to our own devices not one of us would have those blessings. I hope you understand that. If it was left to us, we wouldn't have any blessings. We would not have forgiveness of sins and we wouldn't have all the other blessings that flow from the windows of heaven if it was left to our own devices. Why is that? Because we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. You just think about that. You, you don't have to be spiritually discerning here just think about it if you are dead spiritually dead then how can you have blessings spiritual blessings in heavenly places and everybody comes into this world dead in trespasses and sins and that's why Jesus said you must be born again that's what he said or you must be born from above Can anyone in here bring that into effect? If a person is dead, can he raise himself up to spiritual life? Again, good old common sense ought to tell you that that is not possible. You must be born again, born of the Spirit of God. God must raise people up to spiritual life. So much for all those people who imagine that they chose to become Christians. That's not how it is and as can be seen in verse 4, God chose those who are blessed with forgiveness of sins. Look look at it again, verse 4, according as he, that is God, have chosen us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world, God chose people for salvation before he even said let there be lights God had already made his choice who would receive all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus Therefore, if you're in Christ, then bless God who chose you for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ long before your mother conceived you. You'll only really appreciate that truth if you appreciate something of the sinfulness of sin and the natural inclination of sinful, unconverted men, women, boys and girls to reject Jesus. That is the natural inclination of people, not to choose Jesus, but to reject him. It's not for nothing that Jesus said to his apostles, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. It's not for nothing, we read in John's Gospel, that light has come into the world, that's Jesus, but men preferred darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People do not make decisions for Christ. They do not invite Jesus into their hearts. That is rubbish. It's simply not scriptural. We read here in verse 4, according as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Let's stick with what the Bible says and not with all the rubbish that other people say about choosing God making a decision for Christ. Us, who are by sinful nature, dead in trespasses and sins. I hope you can understand how ridiculous it is to even imagine that any of us could ever be in Christ if God had not first chosen us. And then in his perfect time, God drew, uh, drew us to Jesus with cords of loving kindness. He made us willing on that day. We who by nature were opposed to the things of God, God made us willing. Just think back to your own conversion, dear Christian, how you received Jesus when god drew you to him with loving kindness the holiness spoken of in verse 4 refers to a believer a believer's position before god in christ and also it refers to how the person who is in christ having been chosen by god should live his born again life as a consequence of that continuous and progressive sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit within him that person is holy and without blame uh, before God in love the person who has been chosen by God washed with the blood of Jesus cleansed purified sanctified by that blood and he is continually being sanctified and, and conformed to the image of Christ by the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is the person who stands before God, holy and without blame. Note that your holiness and blamelessness as a believer in Jesus is in love. We see that at the very end of verse 4. In other words, it is the consequence of God's everlasting love for you, dear Christian. Let's have a look at verse 5 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Having seen in verse 4 that God's purpose for all whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world is to make them holy and without blame before him in love by the blood of Jesus and that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we now see in verse 5 that the purpose... That purpose of God is accomplished through the adoption of his elect. The adoption of those whom he has chosen. And that is by predestination or eternal decree. And Again, it takes us back to before the world was ever created by God. God predestined. He, He made it out your destiny, dear Christian, to be one of his children to call him father. This is not something that anyone in the world can do. It's only those who are holy and without blame before him in love. The saints, those who are in Christ. He predestinated you, having chosen you to be adopted as his son or his daughter. Again, what part do you have to play in any of this? Let's be reasonable here. I trust you can see absolutely nothing at all. You know, can you see that seriously? because there are christians who don't who, who seem unable to see it, and that really baffles me. It really does when the elect of God receive the eternal Son of God and they believe in him as their savior from sin. He, Jesus, gives them the power or the right or the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. We get that in John chapter 1, by the way. Jesus is the one who gives you the power to address God as Father, to legitimately address God as Father. All of that is done in accordance with the good pleasure of God and therefore none of it has anything to do with Free will, we hear about free will. Again, even Christian preachers, they they have to talk about free will. There's no free will in this. Can you see that? If you just take Paul at his word here and not try to mess around with the scriptures, there is no free will at all in these verses. The decision was made in eternity for you to be a Christian, if indeed you are a Christian. Hang on to that. It's a beautiful thing and it's not something to be embarrassed about or ashamed of or anything. So it has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with so-called free will or anything else. If you are a child of God and consequently you are someone who is growing in holiness because you've got the Holy Spirit working in you, to will and to do of God's good pleasure, then praise God for his everlasting love for you, a love that is best seen where? At the cross, where the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life as he bare away your sins and he poured out his blood for you when he was wounded for your transgressions. Let's have a look at verses 6 and 7. Where's all, where is all this leading to? Verse 6 and 7. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He have made us accepted in the beloved. (laughs) There's nothing about, there's nothing of us in that, is there? What we've done. Let's have a look at that again. To the praise of the glory of His grace, God's grace, wherein He have made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace if you are understanding this can you see that it is all of God I challenge anyone in here to to show me anywhere in these verses that we've been considering this morning where our input comes into it it doesn't that first part, to the praise of the glory of his praise. Have a look at that in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, it is quite a mouthful and it's important to understand what that mouthful means. If you can understand its meaning, you'll find that it is a mouthful that is full of flavour. It's beautiful. What it means is that God's purpose for what we have read in the previous verses about him, God choosing people for salvation, God adopting them as his children, is that the riches of his abundant grace or his unmerited favour are clearly seen. They are clearly experienced. If you're a Christian, you've experienced it for yourself. God's grace towards you the 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 Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you 've been chosen in eternity predestinated to be adopted as a son or a daughter of God, and what does that do? that knowledge and that experience it's an experience you've experienced it as a you're a born again Christian, surely that must promote f- praise. Praise towards God, so much so that hearts are filled with wonder and lips with praise to the end that, that, that what that the, God, the, the the God of grace is glorified. all of this is for the glory of God, him choosing you, him predestinating you to be a son or a daughter. You calling him Father, you being in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, holy and without blame, in his sight, in love, all of this stuff is for his glory. And that is seen when we praise him. And that praise comes from hearts which are full, filled to overflowing with praise and thanksgiving for what he has done, what God has done. It's beautiful. It's beautiful stuff. Needless to say, that none of that will happen. I'm talking about the praise here. None of that will happen when professing Christians attribute their salvation from sin to them inviting Christ into their hearts or to them making a decision for Christ or to them signing the decision slip or to them repeating the sinner's prayer Now don't get me wrong here, listen I'll tell you, I answered an altar call when I became a Christian although in hindsight I think I was already a Christian, I just didn't realise it. I'm not knocking any of this stuff but answering that altar call did not make me a Christian, God did and the decision was taken in eternity. But if you do not recognise that, that it is all of God, then who are you going to be praising? Even if you attribute just one tiny, tiny fragment of your salvation to yourself. Praise yourself, but don't praise God for that. Give yourself the glory. Give yourself a pat on the back. But I hope that's no one in here who does that. It's to God be the glory. Great things he have done. A Christian ought to be someone who praises God for regenerating him. In other words, that means making him be born again. You can't make yourself be born again. God does that. God who saves you by his grace. God who adopts you as his child, having chosen you before the foundation of the world. Only then will your heart overflow with praise and thanksgiving to the glory of God. I can't, I can't picture anyone who thinks that they made the decision for Christ ever having that level of praise coming from their lips. And if they do, some of that praise has to be reserved for themselves and not for God. The last part of verse 6, he have made us accepted in the Beloved, is music to the ears of all who love Jesus and believe on him, that we're accepted in the Beloved. I remember when I first heard that, when I was a new Christian, and the pastor in my church, he's brought my attention to that, accepted in the Beloved. Thank God for that. Because my acceptance would never be in me or in anyone else. Our acceptance is and always will be in the beloved, in the beloved Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how, one, again, it's just, it's wonderful. Without the grace of God, we all stand guilty before him. The New Testament teaches that the wages of sin is death. Similarly, the Old Testament teaches that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The thing is that all have sinned, all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The good news is that the born-again Christian stands before God clothed and adorned in the righteousness, not of an angel, not of the archangel Michael, or not of a prophet, but in the righteousness of his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. His perfect obedience in life and in death. The very fact that the child of God is accepted by God, not in himself, but in the beloved Son of God, bears testimony to the riches of God's grace. If you steal away any of it of what God has done, then you're you're stealing something of um the glory that is due to God and, and his grace, the riches of his grace. You're taking that for yourself. You can't do that. None of us can. A child of God is someone who has been redeemed or liberated from The guilt of his sin by a payment of a ransom. The ransom that was paid was the precious blood of Christ. Look at that in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. It's the same thing there. If you've been redeemed, been liberated and the ransom price that was paid was the precious blood of Jesus, what that means is that you have forgiveness of sins. We can always look on the flip side of that again. If you have not been redeemed or liberated by the blood of Jesus, you do not have forgiveness for sins. You really don't. I wonder, did God choose you to be holy and without blame before the foundation of the world? Having been chosen by God were you predestinated by him to become his child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Even though you continue to be a work in progress with God himself working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, do you nevertheless stand before him not as a guilty sinner but accepted in none other than his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Putting it very simply, do you believe with all your heart, a heart that is filled with praise and thanksgiving, that you have forgiveness for all your sins because the Son of God came down from heaven and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen.